Scott, welcome back after week one of the Sun Belt. Uh, it was a busy weekend, I think, for both of us. Busy Labor Day weekend. College football is back. College football is back, and it was beautiful. In fact, it's on in my TV in the other room right now. So I, I'm just soaking in every minute of it that I could get. I'll tell you what, as we're recording this on Monday night, I decided to skip the Monday night football, college football game. I know blasphemy because I found a Netflix show called Titletown High School. And uh, I'm about two episodes in and it's caught my attention. It's got some high school in Georgia where it's like winning isn't the only thing. It's everything. And uh, it gives me my Texas football roots. Like, you know, goes back to that. I think that there were, I think we're like two generations away from Texas being removed as like the football end all be all and it being replaced with Georgia. That's my super hot take to start this podcast. That's going to take a lot of work, you know, because there's, it's not just about the football when, you're, when we talk about that, it's about the culture, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the media, you have to start creating, you know, Friday night light type stuff for Georgia football. And I don't know if people are going to really get into that, you know, so title town high school. It's on a, uh, it's on Netflix. Check it out. All right, Scott. So let's do, uh, we, we, we've done it before where we just go down the schedule and we talk about the wins and the losses and we kind of preview what we have next week, but this year we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to go, we're going to start the podcast uh, kind of like how you start your, your newsletter every week, which people can go find where, um i don't know they can they can go to our twitter page and they can find it there that's the best way to find it i i think you're right there but we go with the most surprise what is it biggest win biggest loss and uh i want to start with biggest loss because i think we're going to disagree here on the biggest loss and i give it to you as you wear your central arkansas bears shirt uh for this podcast what do you think was the biggest loss this week for the Sunbelt Conference, or, or a Sunbelt Conference team, I should say. Shout out to you for making this a visual medium. Um, Georgia State was the biggest loss because they looked absolutely embarrassing from the start to the finish in every single phase of that football game. They were so unprepared. Shout out to Sean Elliott, who started his press conference by putting the entire blame on himself and saying, I did not prepare this football team well enough. I don't hear a lot of head coaches say that after, you know, blowout losses, but he, he took the whole blame, didn't point at a single player, didn't point at a single play. He took the blame for it. Boy, was it bad. I mean, I don't know if you saw any of it. You may have saw some tweets about it. There was, I put this in my newsletter, the thing that summed up the whole game happened pretty early on. Georgia State punched the football. It hits an Army player. Georgia State recovers. It gets called back because Georgia State gets hit with a holding penalty. So now Georgia State has to punt again. Army drops the next punt, goes right through the punt returner's hands. Georgia State recovers again, and they're hit with a holding call, and it comes back again. So they have to punt a third time. This time Army recovers. It returns it for a few yards. That summer of the whole game it was incredibly undisciplined. They couldn't stop Army on uh, Army's offense. They're passing offense i should say and they couldn't do anything themselves in offense it was just an all-around terrible game i hated watching it they got axed in the third quarter off of tv number three sorry georgia state 
Well, what's funny is uh, you look at the box score, and I hate box score radio. I hate box score, box score podcast. But look, they had two different guys throw touchdown passes. Those two players, Anderson and Jones, combined for 72 yards passing. Army's not a passing team. They've never been a passing team. I am uh, – while you – okay, so you say that it's the most disappointing loss because the undisciplined nature of Georgia State. And I agree with you. Because this was my most disappointing loss, but for a different reason. This was the most disappointing loss to me because this, to me, was the most winnable game in the Sun Belt against a premier opponent. Army is not a team that, well, I should say Army is a team that anybody in the nation can recognize, anybody in the nation can know. If Georgia State wins that game, that's another, not only is it another win for Georgia State, but it's also a big win for the conference. Because the conference last year was on the back of, oh, App State in 07 beat Michigan, and they've been a, you know, a good team, not a great team on the national scale. Coastal Carolina has a bunch of great national attention last year. This could have been another one of those like, hey, the Sunbelt Conference, it's not just another group of five conference. It's the group of five conference. And I think that there was a missed opportunity there. I will say this, though. I have always said I'm not a big Georgia State fan. I think that their fans are kind of annoying. Uh, it seems like that entire Eastern division really finds a way to bother the rest of us. Um, they weren't a lot of tweets about this game, Scott. Outside of uh, you guys, and I should say us, outside of us, wasn't a ton talking about this game because they were getting axed uh, in the third quarter. and it was they, a- were, they were getting destroyed the whole game. I think Army ended up with 98 passing yards, which, as I mentioned on Twitter, when you convert that to modern football, that's like 500 yards passing. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so- State, they said, actually, let's get uh, let's get deep. Let's get philosophical, and let's overreact the hell out of this thing. Three days ago, I thought the Georgia State's like long-term future was really good. I thought it looked better than Georgia Southern. So I thought if you compare those two schools, I think Georgia State is going to have a much better five years than Georgia Southern is. And after one game, I'm rethinking my whole thought process there because this team played Army two years ago in the exact same location in 128-14. Two years go by, you've got a Georgia State team that's brought almost everything back from last year, and they got demolished by Army this time around. Are they really in a better place than they were two years ago? Are they really going to finally get over the hump in the next few years? Now, is Army a better team last year or this year than they were last year, though? That would be my big question. Army's the same team every year for the last five years. They're no different. They run this freaking triple option with these same exact body types every year. It, it doesn't, the up and downs don't come and go that much with Army, I feel like. I feel like they rose up in like like five years ago. They they actually started getting good, and they've been that same level of good every year. So, this is on Georgia State. For me, this signals like this team may have peaked almost already, because seven wins is not a very high ceiling. But watching this football, I've watched a lot of Georgia State football over the last couple of years. They've looked better than seven wins to me, but they can't get any higher than seven wins. And if this is how they look when they finally get a team that can, you know, break that eight-win glass ceiling, I'm just saying. 
I think we're gonna wrote, we're, we're gonna come back to Georgia State in another couple weeks, and we're gonna reevaluate that quarterback position. But right now, I'm okay with that being the worst loss of the week. Let's start with the best win of the week. Okay, that's fine. We can go to. We might disagree on this one, but for me, it was Appalachian State. They were the team that I was most impressed by. My eyeballs liked seeing them more than anybody else that I watched this week out of the Sun Belt. I don't know about you, but I thought Chase Bryce looked really good. I was really worried about him, especially first drive. He overthrew a wide receiver. Two plays later, he way underthrew a wide receiver and just didn't look good. But after that, on target the whole game. Cam Peoples looked amazing. Nate Noel looked amazing. Those running backs are fine. The offensive line, I don't know what to think about. That was the group that had the question mark, I think, because they lost three starters. Peoples and Noel combined for like six yards of carry. They also gave up nine tackles for loss. So I don't really know yet, but there's plenty of football left for me to, you know, come up with my opinion there. And then defensively, that's where I was actually like, Watching App State, that's what stood out the most to me. They gave up one touchdown the whole game, and it came at the very end of the game. They were very strong. They got in the backfield. They were phenomenal in the secondary. They looked scary. They looked like a team. It's funny when you look at our best performance and our worst performance, it is the opposite of my uh, big prediction for the year, which was that Georgia State was going to finish second and App State was going to finish third. (laughs) So – not a great start for what I predicted for this season, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, I think that App State, too, like you were quick to remind me that I picked App State to lose that game against East Carolina. And, you know, they looked really good. I will give them all of the credit in the world. I'm going to give my big win, though, to my Coastal Carolina shot to clears. The Chanticleers won 52-14 against the Citadel. I know you don't really care about the Citadel all that much, but they put up a similar score that Alabama did when they played the Citadel. In the same way that the Alabama Crimson Tide, when they played um, the Citadel, I, I hate to continue to say it, but when they, when they beat Citadel, they looked like a dominant national championship contending team. I think Coastal Carolina looked good. I think offensively, they looked right where they left off last year. I think defensively, there's still a couple question marks. But, you know, they didn't give up a score in the first half. And uh, next week, we'll get a little bit, I think, more of a test from Kansas. But at the same time, like, I like where Coastal is right now. And they're going to be the only ranked uh, Sunbelt team after this week. Uh, it's If we're going to make that comparison, I would say Coastal Carolina looked better than that Alabama team. Because that was the that was the game that Alabama famously was tied at ten at halftime with the Citadel, and then blew them out in the second half. Yeah, but okay. I, I would sure. look. I would have taken South Alabama second after Appalachian State because they destroyed Southern Miss and South Alabama was favored by like one point, and they beat them by twenty four. That's what that's the game I would have went with because Jake Bentley looked great. He did. I think there were some people who may not have believed in him, may have not have thought that uh, he could have a very good year for his, his final year, but he did really well. And Jalen Tolbert, of course, was a monster. He had like 170 receiving yards. South Alabama would have been my next pick for sure. Coastal Carolina, 
they looked good. They looked dominant. That was my my thinking that night was they did what they were supposed to do. I wouldn't say that I was. So impressed. we're hold on. So we're at that level now with Coastal. Oh well, yeah, they played the Citadel. This well, a hold on this a, a second. Top twenty-five team playing the Citadel, no. a team that looked like. And when I travel ten miles down the road and I watch the the local two-A high school team play option football, it's like the Citadel took the Alabama two-A high school option football all-star team and brought them up to South Carolina and fielded a football team against a top 25 team. That's what it looked like to me. Now, here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, with college (laughs) football media. They can't appreciate anything. Coastal Carolina, a couple years ago, had what? A couple jerseys and and a blue field. That's all Coastal had. And now they're a contending team they're a team that's going to be contending for a top 15 final spot maybe a top 10 final spot we need to appreciate coastal more that the fact that they not only have built this program from scratch not only that they have one of the coolest mascots in college football with the chanticleer i'm just saying i i think that we are way too dismissive they did what they were supposed to do sure but i think that there has to be a little bit of like yeah, they did what they were supposed to do. A lot of college football teams this weekend across the board did not do what they were supposed to do, you know? So let's let's appreciate it a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Fair point. Fair point. How about this? Almost a four-touchdown favorite against a Power 5 team this week. Yeah. I, I, that's insane. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a Sunbelt team even a, a double-digit favorite over a Power 5 team. We'll I don't even know that. how many – I don't even know how many times a, a, a Sunbelt team has been favored at all. We'll That's get crazy. to that. I want to I want to talk about South Alabama. Just one more thing. Jake Bentley, he had a really good game, two touchdowns. We did this last year with uh, not with so much with Grayson McCall, but we did this last year with a couple of quarterbacks where we were quick to say, hey, we think this guy has it. And then it turned out they didn't. Actually, it was mostly the reverse. It was this guy doesn't have it. And then uh, we were proven right. Jake Bentley, what's the stock option right now? Is it buy buy low, sell high? Is it is it start jumping on the train now so that when he's uh, at the end of the year, one of looking like one of the best quarterbacks, you can say, "Hey, I knew from week one." Like, where where are we right now with Bentley? Oh, just looking at the schedule, what I would have done, I would have bought before the season started, and then I would sell on September twenty fifth, and. Just watch it tank the rest of the way. That was that's my feeling on uh, on Jake Bentley. It's it's all going to come down to the five guys in front of him though, and that's that's the big question with South Alabama. Their offensive line was complete garbage. We talked about that last week. Southern Miss, I don't think is going to be was a, a huge challenge. I don't think Bowling Green is going to be a huge challenge for that front five. Don't think Alcorn State is going to be a big challenge. The rest of the way. Yes, they're going to be pushed. They're going to be challenged. They're going to be tested. I don't know. I don't. I. I would not. I would not put everything in Jake Bentley. If I had to go down this list, there are so many other quarterbacks that I would put before him. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, let's let's do here because I want to hit these three. I want to hit these three big games, or I should say, okay, let's do this. Let's hit Louisiana and Texas. Then we're going to go through our little poo-poo platter of games. And then we're going to do the Texas State segment. So let's go Louisiana, Texas. Number 21, Texas beats Louisiana by 20 points at home. 
Louisiana is all but guaranteed now to drop out of the top 25, and it's going to take them doing something miraculous, probably winning out to get back in the top 25 because that's just how the Sun Belt works. Like, you might be preseason ranked. If you lose a game, you're, you're pretty much out. It's going to be take forever to get back in. What do you see from the Cajuns that you liked? We'll start there. That I liked? I had yeah. such high expectations for Louisiana that it's hard to pinpoint something that I liked in this contest because they just weren't as good as I was hoping that they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what I liked is that they still ran the football. I don't think they ran the football enough, but when they did run, they were effective. I mean, they weren't stopped behind the line a whole lot. They It wasn't two yards and a cloud of dust. I like the fact that Louisiana's running backs, they looked fast next to the Texas players. That's what I like is they looked, they, they were speedy, they were quick, and they, they picked up four or five yards of touch. That's what I liked, and that's about all that I liked. You know, Levi Lewis protected the football. I guess that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, they didn't do enough. Do you want to know what I, I don't like? Because I have things that I don't like. I want to – we'll do one more thing because I, I, like, I like where you're going with this. Levi Lewis, for the second time now, is a quarterback out of Louisiana that has outplayed the Texas quarterback. The first one was Joe Burrow. This next one is Levi Lewis. I thought Levi Lewis was the best quarterback on the field. Sure. We're just saying yeah. something. Sure. I mean, they, Billy Napier really relied on me. 40 pass attempts. I meant to look it up today. I don't know if Levi Lewis has thrown that many times in a season or in a game, I mean, but I don't think they really pushed the ball that, that much. I don't think they really pushed downfield. Yeah, I, I'd say so. I mean, the Texas quarterback, he was athletic. Uh, I wouldn't – he didn't stand out to me all that much. It seemed like he had one guy who was always open in the middle of the field, so he didn't have to work that much to get the ball to him. It's – I thought that it was more of what Louisiana was doing defensively that helped out the Texas quarterback. But mm. I think Levi Lewis's own talent, his own abilities, is what caused him to have the day that he had. So, all right, that's a perfect segue. Let's get into the things you don't like. Yeah, this defense is not any better than it was last year upon first impression. Now, you're playing a top 25 team in Austin. Yeah. Is that – did you take mm-hmm. that into account? A little bit, okay. yes, but I'm still disappointed. I mean, the big issue is that with this team last year is that they were not disruptive on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They didn't – get sacks, they didn't get tackles for loss. And in this game, if they did not bring an extra man, that Texas quarterback sat there, sat back there all day. And I think the difference between Texas and Iowa State is that you could tell that Texas had the blue chip players on their roster, but Iowa State did not. Because the Texas running back, I, I'm not remembering any names here, they had a running back and a wide receiver Robinson. that were just Robinson. He and the wide receiver were just overwhelming. I mean, and Robinson – yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Robinson, you could not take him down. The first Louisiana defender never took him down. And then after that, the second Louisiana defender usually didn't take him down either. It, you needed three white jerseys on that man to bring him down. And that that was overwhelming, and that's where I'm taking in the Texas and, you know, Big 12 and it's Texas and it's five-star players. I'm taking that into account. But – I didn't like that when Louisiana was in its base defense, they were not bringing any type of pressure onto card, that quarterback. 
and they allowed him to sit back there and just find an open man. And it's easy to be a quarterback when you got all the time in the world to make that throw. Louisiana is going to have to show me something like next week. I mean, they play an FCS team. I'm sure they'll look better. That's what I need to see from Louisiana the rest of the way is actual pressure into the defensive backfield. They were phenomenal at not giving up big plays. You know, great at keeping everything in front of them. But in order to take the next step, you got to get to the quarterback. You got to make them uncomfortable. That's Louisiana's weakness. And if they don't fix it, I think this is the year that a lot of Sunbelt teams can take advantage of that. And the thing is, and then we'll end on this note, the thing about Louisiana losing that game is that they were in the conversation to win it. Like before the game, people in Austin, people on the national media side were kind of concerned about like, hey, could Louisiana actually win this game? Like it's an eight-point spread. Vegas has a pretty good idea about these type of things. Could Louisiana come in here and beat Texas? Like could they beat a Sarkeesian offense? I think the fact that they lost by 20, we could have had this being one of the worst losses. Um it's probably probably like third or fourth because there were some really bad ones. Um, but whatever. That's that's you know, that's the point. All right, Kentucky beat ULM. This is uh the legally binding uh Louisiana Monroe is a team in the Sunbelt football conference. Uh until they have an actual budget and an actual team on the field, we will refuse to talk about them. 45-10. If you are a Warhawk fan, um there's transfer portal on your website. You can go transfer out if you need to. All right, let's talk about the poo-poo platter. The poo-poo platter this week consists of Georgia Southern beating Gardner-Webb, Arkansas State beating Central Arkansas, and your Troy Trojans beating Southern. The poo-poo platter, as always, is brought to you by nobody. We're going to get that sponsored, though, Scott. <laughs> we'll start with Troy. 55-3, to they beat Southern. I can't get anything out of that i they're you know okay this is a team that beat southern the trojans are a team that we consider to be middle of the pack in the sunbelt conference i don't after watching that game i can't tell you like troy moved up or moved down in the power rankings to me in the sunbelt i just don't think that they did i think this game was more it was about you know troy and just troy I think that's it. Just kind of an internal thing because you've got a brand new starting quarterback. He's the third starting quarterback in three years. And I think that was the biggest thing, just breaking him in and seeing how he looks and then moving forward. And he, he looked, looked good. good. He, he looked, looked okay. Good. He, looked, he looked really good. He made a lot of really good throws. He, he was impressive. So right. that, that was the main takeaway. And that's really the only takeaway I have. Arkansas State beat Central Arkansas. Arkansas State, a team that was notoriously underperforming last year. They lose probably their best player in their wide receiving core they come out in this one they put up 40 points but again it's central arkansas i don't really consider this like i know some arkansas fans were considering this a rivalry game i didn't really look at it as like a rivalry game then again i don't live in arkansas so what do i know but you know i cool i guess good win for arkansas again don't really move up don't really move down to me I, this is another one where, in a similar way to Troy, it was about Arkansas State. And so last year, what happened, they rolled with the two-quarterback system. And as you called early in the year, 
it struggled, it struggled, and then it stopped. It just, it ruined everything by the end of the season. And so Butch Jones comes in, decides to fix the system by running a two-quarterback system against UCA. He starts James Blackman. Arkansas State doesn't score. They don't do anything. They struggle. It's a really close game at halftime to one of the top FCS teams in the country. And then Lane Hatcher comes out. He's 12 for 12, 150 yards, four touchdowns. Lane Hatcher should have started the game. He should have finished the game. And he should start against Memphis. And he should finish the game against Memphis. And James Blackman should talk to him in his headset the whole time. That's my take. If they do the two-quarterback system again with Butch Jones, how quickly does this turn into a anti-Butch Jones podcast? Because I'm willing to do it next week. If they're going two-quarterback system and we get the exact same results where they're struggling with Blackman on the field and they're moving the ball with Hatcher on the field, I don't think there was a point last year where Hatcher wasn't moving the ball when he, when he was in. Yes. Yes, I think it's fair to say that we can we can riot, we can revolt, we can you know call up call up our friends, you know bring uh-huh. everybody to arms and march on Jonesboro one day and just get this like just stop this stop. It didn't work last year. March, I don't think there's an airport in Jonesboro. Take a train. <laughs> Georgia Southern they win their game thirty to twenty five against Gardner Webb again in the third game of the poo poo platter. It was a five-point game, which makes me a little bit nervous for uh, Georgia Southern going forward. You have a take. Let's hear it. Because I called it. I said it last week. Georgia Southern was going to struggle against Gardner-Webb, and they did because they didn't have a quarterback. You know what they did? They started the true freshman. They used the true freshman, but they brought in another guy at quarterback, Tulane transfer, Amari Jones who doesn't play quarterback. He plays running back. He is a running back. That's what he does. He runs the football. And they asked him to throw it seven times. And he completed four of those passes. So I guess it works out for them. But Cam Ransom was the starting quarterback. I thought he looked pretty solid for a true freshman. He's a big dude. When you look at him, he's very scary. And I don't want to be anywhere near him when he has the ball in his hands. The issue was the defensive side. I think Gardner-Webb had like 350 passing yards. You shouldn't allow an FCS team to throw for over 300 yards against you, especially when you, when you have Derek Canteen, who's like a top two corner in this league. That's embarrassing. You can't let that happen. If Gardner-Webb is throwing for 350 yards against you, so is Florida Atlantic. So is Arkansas. So is Arkansas State. So is Troy. Everybody's throwing for 300 yards against you. You got to solve that really fast. All right, let's get to – you might say it's your favorite segment. I might say it's my least favorite segment. It's the Texas State game. And from here on out, we're going to put this one in the middle portion between the week before, the week that we had, and the week that we're going to have. Because I want to always end our week in review with talking about Texas State, because that's exactly where they deserve to be at the end. Did you get a chance to watch this game? I watched zero plays. So here's the deal. I watched zero plays too because I couldn't see it because none of the plays were showing up. Look, ESPN plus has been, I would say a success. Would you, would you agree? I think it's a success right now for most college football teams. Sure. ESPN plus has been the last nail in the coffin of like Texas state football. Cause volleyball works really good. I've watched some baseball games on ESPN Plus. 
ESPN Plus for football never never seems to work. Last year, Texas State played a ton of games on ESPN proper, ESPNU, ESPN2, and they all looked really good. Now, production-wise, do we have questions? Were we in our group chat making fun of, hey, Brady McBride's dad's a coach because every week they told us the same thing? Yeah, sure. But it, it looked good. It, it all worked. This game against Baylor had Baylor fans, Scott, thinking that the Big 12, there was some media bias against ESPN and the Big 12 because they thought ESPN was intentionally hijacking the broadcast to make it look bad. We got to conspiracy theory levels of like bad production. And then here's the worst part, Scott. The worst part is, is that Texas State almost won this game. Texas State lost 29 to 20 to Baylor. A, a Big 12 team, are they good? No. Are they average? No. Are they bad? If Kansas wasn't in the conference, I think Baylor would be, probably be the worst team this year in the Big 12. And they came nine points away from winning. And Brady McBride, my favorite guy, I got the dude's number in my phone, Scott, through three interceptions. Through three interceptions. And we already have Twitter accounts saying – Bench Brady. You got to bench Brady. What have they watched Tyler Vitt play football? Do they, <laughs> they know who Caleb Evans is? The third string guy is third string for a reason. Because if he was better than the other two, the spab would start him. So the deal is, is that Texas State, in all three aspects of the game, I thought their defense looked okay. I thought special teams was fine. Offensively, I'm still super frustrated that the Spavadol playbook has just not opened up at all. Offensive line is an A+. I thought the offensive line looked really good. Um, going forward, though, I got to find a better way to intake these Texas State games. And now that I'm in North Dakota, I can't go to the games. So unless somebody wants to FaceTime me from the press box, I'm in a tough spot, Scott. Yeah, I hate to hear that for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know I mean I think you uh covered it all Brady McBride threw three interceptions he was garbage but he's the starter for a reason yada yada I guess Ty Evans I thought Ty Evans would would compete there at least be higher up than uh Tyler Vitt but I guess not I didn't realize that Evans, Evans was just a freshman so that inexperience I don't know why Vitt's still on the roster like here's the deal. leadership so I wrote about this earlier this week, talking about North Dakota State, which we're not going to talk about a ton here. But I wrote about how, like, if a coach says a guy has really good leadership qualities or a guy is, like, you know, uh, has a really good size, he's got a really good arm, really powerful, and doesn't mention that he can hit a wide receiver in between the numbers, that's a red flag. Your coach should always be like, yeah, he really connects with the wide receivers. He's really doing a good job. If you tell me, oh, yeah, he's got good leadership skills, I'm going to think the guy stinks from here on out. Because you know who had good leadership skills? Jamarcus Russell. Josh Rosen. Those guys had good leadership skills in college. And it didn't turn out to be anything. So I just I'm, – I'm sick. I'm done. Let's talk about September 10th, Kansas and Coastal Carolina. Shot to clears. I, they're still ranked 22. We're recording this before we get the new rankings. I cannot imagine that they stay at 22 – with other teams losing the way that they lost this week. Um, Kansas is Kansas. 
They open up as a 25 and a half point favorite. Chanticleers win this game. I don't think that they get to move up in the rankings. If they lose this game, the Sun Belt will not have anybody ranked. Uh, so it really is like a no win for Coastal in the fact that if they win. Oh, oh man, we have reached the point where a Sunbelt team is playing a Power 5 team. And we're not talking about it's a lose-lose situation for the Power 5 team. It's a lose-lose situation for the Sunbelt team. There's nothing – you get nothing good out of beating this Power 5 team, and you've got everything to lose. That's beautiful. It's Kansas. And when they rescheduled this game, Coastal was like a one-win team. So I get it. But if there was a way that the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers could like – I don't know, get Kansas sick. If there's a way that this game couldn't happen and they could go schedule like Florida State, I think Coastal will do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't knock Kansas. They beat a uh, a strong South Dakota team last week, 17 to 14. I don't know how good South Dakota is. I just I, – I thought all the Dakota football teams were good. No. No? It, is South Dakota bad? South Dakota isn't bad, but they're they're not great. Like they're they're fine. They're a playoff team probably because there's fifty thousand playoff teams in FCS football. Um, that's like when people say like, oh, we should go to that model. They they don't know that model. That model has a lot of a lot of people get into get into the playoffs in that model. Um, so okay, sure, Kansas. Okay, Kansas has a good win. Uh, Coastal had a you know good win last week against the Citadel. I still think Kansas's win probably means a little bit less than Coastal's win. Um, if all things are being equal, what's interesting is that this game is in Conway, which makes me wonder, will this be a sellout crowd or will it be middle? If it's middle of the pack crowd, then that means Coastal has to start actually like trying to go get teams that are God forbid the Gamecocks. Could they get, could they get Clemson in like 2030? 2036, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I for Coastal, Kansas doesn't do anything really well. So it's not like we can point it like they need to do this or this. It's just like beat Kansas, do the job, don't throw interceptions, don't fumble, walk out of the stadium with a win. If they don't pack the stadium for this game, Coastal's got some promotional issues that they're going to have to work out, honestly. Because this is a game that was supposed to happen in Conway last year. It got moved to Kansas. So they've been waiting for this game for a year. I know a lot of fans are very excited. Like, this is the game that they, they've been waiting for because Kansas, Kansas. But they still recognize them as a Big 12 team that's coming to Conway, South Carolina, regardless of how good they are. Is it's the a Friday night. Coming too? Can the basketball team play the Harlem Globetrotters, like, at halftime? They're gonna, if they don't pack this in. The other thing is a small stadium. For, even for the Sun Belt, it's like fifteen to 20,000 capacity. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got to pack it out. I know it's a whiteout game, so maybe that will bring some folks in. All right, let's talk about Georgia Southern and Florida Atlantic. They play on September 11th at 2.30. They open up as a seven-point underdog on the road. Georgia Southern, a team that, like we just mentioned, struggled a little bit last week. Uh, what are your thoughts on Florida Atlantic going into this one? Florida Atlantic, that's actually who I was looking up right now because I feel like they started some. They started a recognizable name at quarterback. I don't know who, though. I don't know who. Oh, so God. I think- yes. Nikosi Perry, the Miami quarterback. 
He's at Florida Atlantic now. Okay, that's all I have. All right, so Florida Atlantic, they've got a recognizable name. Georgia Southern, not a great uh, team on the road, question mark. Can they go into Florida Atlantic and win? They could, yeah. I mean, they can do that. Will they? I have no idea. I uh, I gave them the L in my preseason predictions. And honestly, I don't know what the, the ESPN FPI is. Yeah, that's like the worst metric possible to gauge a uh, football game. It's the worst really? predictive measure. It's, it's so bad. It's, it's terrible. You can't use FPI. But I can imagine that it's leaning pretty hard towards Florida Atlantic in this game. Because Georgia Southern, they, they lost more from last year than any Sunbelt team and by a, a wide margin. Yeah. Defensively, they did not look good last week. Either they turn it around this week, but if they don't, there's not much that, that tells me that Georgia Southern's going to win the game. They're going to have to score on every drive. And they could go full army. They could go full army and just hold the football. They're going to have to pick up, you know, new set of chains after new set of chains, but they're going to have to be effective with a true freshman at quarterback and the, your third string running back subbing in every now and then at quarterback. So what's interesting to me, too, about this game is that Florida Atlantic just lost to Florida 35-14 last week. And they didn't do – they didn't do things that I think that Florida Atlantic football does well, which is, you know, control the clock, run some play action. They didn't do that very well. Also, for those of you at home wondering, the ESPN Football Power Index has uh, FAU winning this game seven by, like, 78%. That, that's, like, the percentage deal. I, you know, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. All right, South Alabama playing Bowling Green. Again, South Alabama opens up as a 15-point road favorite to Bowling Green. Bowling Green, another program that I don't really think that much about outside of, like, firing up the old NCAA 14 and uh, scheduling an average opponent to start my season as the number one ranked Bobcats. <laughs> yeah, there are four teams that the athletic said was worse than UO Monroe coming into this season. And one of those four teams is Bowling Green. This team is bad. They're a special kind of bad. I had, I had listened to a preview on them earlier in the summer. They're extra bad. They're like bad with extra bad sauce on top of that bad. So South Alabama should roll here, even on the road. I don't imagine a lot of people are going to be at the game. I can't, I can't look at Bowling Green and think, you know, it's like you're saying, NCAA, top 25, toughest places to play. I don't think that's Bowling Green. I don't think the crowd's really going to be much of a, a factor in this game. I don't look at Mac schools with their tracks around the field and their crumbling concession stands. <clears throat> I don't see them as, you know, particularly difficult places to play. I mean, Troy went to Akron and beat the crap out of them in that empty stadium. So <clears throat> South Alabama, they should win. They've got the – we've talked about it, the easiest September schedule I've ever seen in my life, and this is one of them. Easy win for South Alabama. All right, let's talk about another game that's on the, uh, the old schedule maker. And this one's interesting. Because Miami comes off of a pretty embarrassing loss to Alabama where most people were saying Miami is turning into the Texas of the ACC, where every year we say they're back and every year they don't look back at all. And Manny Diaz's defense got shredded uh, like confidential papers. It looked bad. They play App State. App State comes in after we, what we considered was a good win against East Carolina. 
if Miami loses this one to App State, I think that they have to give the turnover chain to the IRS. Like, I think that they've got to, they got to, and Manny Diaz is probably on his way out of town. And by out of town, I mean sleeping with the fish. Like, Miami fans are going to be super pissed uh, if they lose to App State. App State, on the other hand, I think that they're good enough to beat the Canes. However, if you go into Miami and beat the Canes, do you have a contingency plan to get out of that stadium? Because they will rip you alive. The, they, there will be a riot. Uh, that's my take. Miami opens up as an eight-point favorite, Scott. Eight points? That sounds about right. Man, at home, too, that's tough. That's tough. My only thinking is, you know. Is Miami going to be ranked? They're 14. Okay, how about this? How about this? Last season, Chase Bryce was not very good at Duke. He was not very good. He plays Miami, though. He completes 20 of 25 passes, which is good. Really good. Doesn't throw an interception. The guy was turnover happy last year. Doesn't throw an interception. For a total of 94 yards, 20 completions, 20. He completed 20 passes for 94 yards. How? How? Was he throwing it to himself and then running? Every play? How do you complete 20 passes for 94 yards? Swing passes, baby. The, the whole time? Yeah. Oh, my God. Against Charlotte, he, he had 106 yards on eight completions. So what – let's get to App State, Miami, Sky. Do you think App State has a chance in this? I'm hung, up, I'm hung up on Chase Bryce, man. We need to move off Chase. He's the starting quarterback in this game. We can't move off Chase. But how about this? This is Chase Bryce and De'Eric King. This is the matchup of the century. Chase Bryce, the man who somehow threw for just 94 yards on 20 completions <laughs> against the NIL King, De'Eric King. This will be good. I mean, I think it'll be fun. What? What is it? A Saturday game? It is. It's a six p.m. Saturday kickoff. Damn. That's the exact same time the Troy game kicks off. Which we're going to come here in a second. Louisiana plays Nick. So okay, prediction for Miami App State. I was very, I'm very disappointed in your uh, your analysis. I'm sorry, I got hung up on. How do you only throw for ninety four yards? Look, look, fine, okay. App State is going to push the ball downfield. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to throw deep, and they're going to throw deep early. They're going to run the football. Cam Peoples, Nate Noel, back-to-back, Thunder Lightning. They're going to do very well defensively. They've got to find a way to control De'Ara King. They had a ton of depth at safety coming in. They've got three injured safeties now. I'm sorry, two injured safeties and one safety who has to miss the first half because he hit somebody in the head against uh, East Carolina. They have to find a way to stop De'Ara King with a – safety group that is all of a sudden a little bit thinner than it was before that's my answer can they watch the alabama tape and get anything from it no okay louisiana Nichols, louisiana uh they don't even have a spread for this i think i will find one there's always a spread andrew i think some man in an alley in las vegas is gonna come up with a spread for this game and gonna post it online so let me 
Let me say my piece. I think the Cajuns win by three touchdowns. This is another one of those, like, all right, we lost to Texas. Our schedule maker was smart. We know we need to have a balance back, balance back game before we get back into the rest of our schedule. I've got Louisiana winning by three touchdowns. There's not, there's, I don't think there's a ton to talk about here. We talked a little bit about what the Cajuns did against Texas. Just, you know, fix some of those problems, continue to move forward. Okay, I can't find a spread, but I will. Before the week ends, I will find a spread. All right, let me talk about a team that I think should be in the Sunbelt Conference, but everybody fights me on it. It's Liberty versus Troy in a loser-goes-home game. In a loser gets kicked out of the conference game, Liberty-Troy. Liberty opens up as a five-point favorite on the road, and they're a sneaky team that could – if we had a 16-team playoff, Liberty probably gets in. Uh, so Scott, what's your concern level with your Trojans? It's up there. It's above my head. If, if the concern level is the ceiling, I would place it above my head. I have to tread water to stay above my concern uh, because of Malik Willis. I'm very excited to see Malik Willis in person. That excites me. What does not excite me is seeing what he's going to do in person against the team that I cover. That's not exciting, but that, that's that's the big thing is Malik Willis. You know, I don't know how good this team is around him. I think this is one of those situations where you take Malik Willis out of the fold and all of a sudden you've got a six and six team in Liberty. Willis changes things. For Troy, their defense is kind of funky. They're going to need their two hybrids that they have on defense to have just monumental games. One plays the defensive end outside linebacker hybrid. He's got to get in the backfield often. The other plays, the outside linebacker safety hybrid, he has to kind of play that rover role where he's watching Malik Willis. He's covering everything underneath and making sure nothing gets past him. Troy is going to have to be incredibly disciplined defensively. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I think Troy has moved beyond that under Chip Lindsay. I think they finally figured out how to limit big plays and keep games from getting away from them. But I'm not entirely sure that they're going to win this game. I think Liberty still has the edge. I think they get blown out. I hope yeah, – well, I don't hope, but I think that Troy – if there's going to be a blowout this week, let's see. Memphis plays Arkansas State. UNC plays Georgia State. That's potential. Miami App State. I would say that Troy has a puncher's chance of getting blown out in this one. I'm going to go with Liberty. I think that Liberty should be in the Sunbelt Conference. I know everybody hates Liberty in the Sunbelt Conference because uh, of – politics and stuff like that but their football team is damn good and if they were in the conference we would have another team that would be a nationally ranked team so I, that's my take if we're ranking games based on blowout ability north carolina number one that's the, no. the Georgia state north carolina. number one no miami app state should be number one because if miami no, that game it's game over for everybody that's a everybody gets fired game if they lose to app state that doesn't mean they're going to blow them out. They could, what's a blowout? Let's set the standard right there. What's a blowout? Three scores? No, because that could be a nine-point game. Are we talking about three touchdown games? Are you want to do a three touchdown? So three touchdowns would be? 20, 21 or more. Okay. Let's go 21 or more. I'm still pointing at North Carolina against All Georgia right. State. Let's talk and Carolina, Georgia State then. 630, or yeah, 630 kickout, North Carolina, number 10 team ranked uh, in the country. They open up as a 25 and a half point favorite. So Scott is right there. 
But Georgia State, a team that we don't love, that I don't like, has some good players. And UNC is a team that I could totally see taking their foot off the gas. Yeah, yeah, possible. I mean, Georgia State does have – they've got guys that they can play. I mean, they can absolutely play. They had three, four starters out uh, for this past game against Army. I don't think that made a huge difference, but they were a little bit shorthanded. Georgia State can play. Last year, that Coastal game, that 52-0 to loss, that was kind of a flukish game. Who knows? Maybe they got their fluke out of the way week one, and we have to – take the the back end of an unsharpened pencil and erase all of our takes from this podcast. But I don't know. I still think I I'm still rolling with um, my preseason prediction, which was Georgia state was going to lose this one and probably by double digits, but they're going to beat Auburn in two weeks after that. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's bad. Going down. Okay. Arkansas state Memphis in a game where Memphis opens up as a five point favorite, which really surprised me. I did not expect that. I get that Jonesboro is like a really tough place to get to, but I mean, Memphis is a pretty solid team. Yeah. Yeah, they are. This, I think this game should be played every year. I think there's no excuse for this not to be played every year. They're close. Uh, Jonesboro is a very difficult place to get to. I can, I can tell you that from experience, but Memphis is very close to Jonesboro. It's not that hard to get there from Memphis. I mean, I think they're actually connected by interstate and it's like a, 30-minute drive almost. This game, I'm going to agree with you, five and a half points or whatever it was, that's really small, especially with how close Memphis is. I don't know how many tickets they get, but there's going to be a lot of Memphis fans there kind of neutralizing a little bit the Arkansas State crowd. If Lane Hatcher starts and finishes this game, five and a half points doesn't surprise me. If James Blackman trots out there, takes the first half, this should be a double-digit loss. That's my whole take. I, I don't I don't know why we would roll with James Blackman. I didn't like the idea of him starting over Hatcher in the first place. Didn't work out well against UCA. I say let Hatcher run with this. And then you got to go to Washington. Maybe figure it out up there where nobody sees that game happen on the Pac-12 network. It doesn't even exist. Maybe try out all your fancy two quarterbacks and some stuff up there where it doesn't matter. But for this one, for this extremely important rivalry game against Memphis at home, put the fan favorite quarterback, the guy who has done nothing but ball every time he's on the field. He's never had a bad game, ever. Put him on the field for the whole game and just let him work. I think that this is the most important week two in Sunbelt Conference history um, because, and I, I, this realization just hit me, Coastal plays a Power 5 team. Okay, they should win that one. App State plays Miami, which I think they should lose on paper, but App State's been known to upset some teams. They could win that game. Louisiana, it's a cupcake game. But the rest of these games, Scott, they're all against – similar opponents they're all against like similar opponents in other conferences and if say the sunbelt wins say the sunbelt wins all of their games this week that means that they would have won games against memphis unc which okay maybe that one 
happens i don't think so but let's like let's pretend that it does i guess whatever but they, they could potentially win games against memphis liberty i think i think miami and kansas are teams that could happen let's call them 50 50s florida atlantic and then let's get to the last game because i don't want to talk about it that much texas state and florida international all of these games that are against like like opponents mac teams you know Conference USA teams, though those type of opponents, Big 12 teams now, because they're just the Sunbelt light. Uh, they're all teams that I could see totally playing in the Sunbelt Conference if we decided to get a super conference. Yeah. Now, to, to your point, you know, this isn't – this wouldn't be, like, the biggest week two in Sunbelt history because of who these teams are playing, but because we're at a point – in this conference's history where they are all, every one of them are winnable games. They, every single one, even North Carolina, there's a universe where we look at it and we go, okay, Georgia State can win that game because we've developed enough history in this league to see some really weird things happen. You know, maybe Sam Howell in North Carolina was incredibly overrated coming into this year. They didn't look that great against Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech is not a good football team. Mm-hmm. So That's fair. every one of these games are winnable. So let's talk Florida International and Texas State. FIU opens up as a one-point favorite at home. And <laughs> it's in Miami. And Spavadol has been known to have a pretty good leash on his guys. This isn't the teams of yesteryear who I would a 1,000% tell you, Scott, probably would go out in Miami the day before the game or after the game, or have their minds on Miami nightlife, or we're going to go back to the hotel, but we're actually not going to go back to the hotel. We're going to have to go have some fun. I think this is a game that Texas State should win. And I think that if they win it, they're in a good enough position, momentum-wise, that we could see a five-win season. Like, But it comes back to this game, because – they lost to Baylor, and Brady played awful. And I don't think he's going to play that bad again, hopefully. If they win this game and Brady plays well, I could see them doing something okay the rest of the year. What do you think? How hot would you say the Jake Spavadol seat is right now? On a scale of one to ten. I'm gonna go four, and here's why. Because would it change if would it, would it change if they lost this week? No. no. Here and this is why. Because Jake Spavadol is still the hot girlfriend that you're okay with like not cheating on you, but like talking to other guys. Like when you go to the bar and guys hit on your girlfriend. You're okay with it because you know that if you weren't okay with it, she could totally leave you for one of them. Jake Spavadol is still an NFL offensive coordinator in waiting. Like there's still a world where a guy like Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor calls Spavadol and says, Hey, I want you to be my quarterback coach. I want you to be my uh, offensive specialist. I want you to be my wide receiver guy. There's still a world where he goes to the NFL 
at a drop of a hat. I, I think, I think that he still has those type of relationships that if Texas state was like three years of Spavadol, the growth that we've seen is not enough. We're going to fire you that he would not, he wouldn't bat an eye. I think he'd be like disappointed that he couldn't win at Texas state, but I don't think that in five years he would care. It wasn't that long ago though, that a Texas FBS team fired its head coach and he immediately got hired to be the head coach at an NFL team. So does him being that hot commodity really matter to the Texas state administration as new as it is? I think that it should Scott. I don't, and I don't like the idea that we get rid of Spav right now because what's a, what's a good season this year? Not a great season. What is a good season? Five, five wins is a good season. That's what I thought. Is there a middle ground? Is there an average season? Or is it good and bad? It's good. Is four wins, is four wins a bad season? Yes. Yeah, no, that was exactly I think, what, no, I think, I think it would be a good season too, though. I think anything <laughs> above three wins would be a good season for Texas State. That means the Texas State standard is way too low. Because you're not it's, even I – mean, how low is – how slow is this rebuild supposed to be? In my mind, I'm thinking if – Come on, man. Bavidal wins three or four games this year, the seat is cooking. It has been turned to medium, and we we are waiting. It, it is like we have a deadline now. It is next year, bowl game, or he's out. Here's, here's why I disagree with that. Because when in your lifetime covering this conference has Texas State been a good team? Never. And but when are they going to change that? But, Texas, but here's the deal. Babarov has been talking constantly about changing that. Yeah. When does it change? I think it's – I. when Troy played Texas State or when Troy does play Texas State in October, are you going to chalk that – did you write W immediately down when you were doing your preseason conference rankings? Yep. You did. Yeah. How much thought went into that, though? How much thought? Probably not a whole lot. I filled in a lot. in my defense a lot of games maybe like 40 percent of them kind of got an instant bill that was one of them you shouldn't have because that game's in san marcus the game's in san marcus this year here's the deal so you go down the text like the list baylor okay that was probably not going to be a win the reason that we're so disappointed on monday night is because the way that they lost fiu that's a winnable game Incarnate Word, that's a winnable game. Eastern Michigan, that's a winnable game. So right there, you're looking at three and one. South Alabama, what have we seen from South Alabama this year that makes you think that they are this, you know, power-hungry team that comes into San Marcos and beats them by two touchdowns? I don't think that is the level they're at. I think that could change. But right now, I'm not bought into that. Georgia State, at Georgia State, at ULL. So those are two losses. Monroe, so there, we have four wins that are winnable games that you already have, like, chalked a W. And then you just need to win a game against Southern or Arkansas State. Which, let's be honest here, are either one of those teams a, yeah, no, that's a that's a no-brainer. Texas State's going to lose to them. So that's why I think Spavadol has done his job. Because two years ago, three years ago, I would say, wow, Eastern Michigan, yeah, that might be a loss. And ULL, mm, okay, that's a blowout. Incarnate Word, 
that's a team down the road that they could lose to. I just I I think Spav has done his job. However, if the administration decided to fire him, it would be a really bad decision on my part. You're I, saying I think- Spavadol's job at Texas State is to make the Texas State football team one that could possibly win each of its conference games. Not a team that will win four or five conference games a year. A team that has an actual shot at just winning some games. I think so. That's that is what that's kind of sad. Maybe that's the divide from a Troy student and a Texas State student. Because you know at Troy you're thinking that the next coach needs to win a conference championship. But in Texas State we're thinking, hey, if you can make other people just think about us for more than two seconds, you've done your job. Scott, you also have to consider this. Texas State, geographically, is 30 minutes south of UT and about two hours west of AM. Geographically, we don't get thought about a lot. So when we talk about, like, conference, we're okay with just being invited to the party, like, just being mentioned. Like, when you mention good teams in the conference we just want to we just want to be mentioned that's it so after watching a team that was previously at the exact same level as texas state win a conference championship last year your standard hasn't changed are you asking should it should i think that we do i think that we should think of ourselves like coastal is that the question Maybe not exactly. It's just, it's possible to make that change. But why is that not the standard? Even when you know, when it's been done in this conference and it just got done. I just, I just think that we're not. We talked about this earlier about like how I think Georgia is going to become the new Texas when we talk about like high school football and college football and just football in general. I think Georgia will be that. Texas is still that, and it's super freaking difficult to recruit in texas and that has shown itself in the way that spav has recruited that he's not going after high school students anymore he's going after junior college students that he's not like focusing a lot of time on like development he's focusing more time on like this guy knows how to play football let's get him in the program I hate that this podcast turned into this at the very end, but I, it's just my thoughts. Like, I think five wins is a good season. Four wins is acceptable. Three wins, I have a serious problem, and I feel really bad for my friend Brady McBride. If they win three games, I feel really bad for him because he doesn't deserve a three-win team. We have talked way too long about Texas State football, at least for my own comfort. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, good news, Louisiana Monroe does not play this week. That is a win for everybody <laughs> who listens to this podcast. And uh, I, think, I think that covers everybody. How many, how many students go to ULM? And can we find a way to get one of them on to uh, talk about their football team? Because you did a be. job of hunting me down to talk about Texas State. So are there somebody from ULM that we like know that we want to talk to? That would be at least seven students there. All right, let's yeah. find somebody. So Eight, the next, the next, 8, the next big game they play, they play next, not this week, but the following week they play Jackson State. Let's try to find somebody 
from ULM to talk to about playing a premier FCS team? You know, I have seen ULM fans on Twitter. I have, I like, they're so rare. They pop up every great now and then. I think we actually have three or four that follow the uh, SG Pages account. I think I've got one or two that follow me. I'll pick a random fan, and I will get him here next Monday. All right, let's do it. For and Scott, we'll talk to him. For Scott, for Andrew, this has been an incredible podcast. And uh, Jake Spavadol, please don't lose this week. I'll talk to you guys next week. Peace out, Andrew. I will find a ULM fan. <laughs>